Well, guys, this is a fun, real fun, real cool time that we get to spend together this morning. And uh, man, I tell you what, when I said Niana is a knucklehead, you guys are probably like, what? How dare you call that poor little child a name? But here's the deal. Um, I am a knucklehead, and, and you guys are knuckleheads too. And, and the reason we are knuckleheads, well, I'll get into that in just a second. But here's what I'd like to, you do, like to do. If you are with somebody in the service, if you will turn to the person on your right and say you are a knucklehead. Now some of you guys in the aisle are like, hey, wait a second. Oh, turn to the person on your left and say you're a knucklehead. Now, now, hey, I was just about to ask that. I said, if you will look at me and say you're a knucklehead. And you guys are awful enthusiastic about that, man. What's going on? How did that happen? You didn't treat everybody else like that. The reason we are knuckleheads, guys, and here's the, here's the crux of what's going on here. We are knuckleheads because Jesus fulfilled hundreds of prophecies that were written down in the Old Testament. His name is holy. His name, amen, written down 365 different predictions about a coming Messiah, a coming anointed one that is going to come true through one person. Jesus fulfilled them all. That's crazy impossible, right? But if that wasn't enough, he rose from the freaking dead. That is ridiculous. Who can compare? And yet, and yet, If we're going to be honest, we don't really give everything to Jesus. We still hold on to some stuff. We are knuckleheadedness in our belief. Uh, In in a lot of ways, in some ways, we are all unbelievers. And by the way, you can fill this out on your your, uh, bulletin, or if you have the app, you can download the app. You can fill this stuff out, and you can actually send your notes to yourself. By the way, we are now Facebook Live. Everybody say, what's up, Facebook? Now, here's the, here's the deal. I, like, I was blown away last week. We had almost 900 views of our Facebook Live uh, projection, whatever you want to call it. Like, I, I was flipped out. I thought, yeah, it'd be kind of cool to have 50 or so, you know. That'd be kind of cool. Maybe have some families that come and, or whatever. And, and so it's not designed for us to go, okay, I'm just going to take off and, and not come to church or anything like that. It really is an evangelical tool. I was, I was like, that was crazy. And so we are, we are looking at that. So here's what I would like everybody to do, if you would, take that. I'll go onto the New City Church Edgerton Facebook page, like it, and then share that video with other people. You never know who will be saved, not because of a knucklehead speaking like me, right, but because of Jesus the Christ doing his thing, amen? You never, never know. We are all unbelievers in some ways, See, the common issue that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, if you remember, we did a a survey and I asked people to fill out a survey saying, what are the top three things you're struggling with? Across the board, here was the common issue, not reading the Bible. Now, from a pastor's standpoint, as one who preaches the Bible and is in the Word on a regular basis, I want to say every day, but there have been like a couple of times over the last, I don't know, a few years or so I've missed, but, but most of the time, I'm, I'm I, like, at least, like it's something that if I don't do it, it's going to feel right. And so I want that for everyone. Why? Because Jesus is the Word. And according to John 1, the Word was God, the Word was with God in the beginning, that Word becomes flesh. And makes his dwelling among us, meaning that Jesus 
is the word. So, so love and desire for Jesus, which most people who are Jesus followers or, or at least call themselves Christians say they, they love Jesus, uh, but a love and desire for Jesus must equal and does equal, if you truly love Jesus, a love and desire for the Bible. And we don't get it a lot of times. So if we're struggling reading our Bible, we're not really struggling having a habit of reading our Bible. We're really, if we're going to be honest, if we're going to break it down, we're struggling with loving Jesus. Amen? I mean, let's just get real about it, right? That's where we got to go there. Like, and we are all knuckleheads in this. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you. I'm saying us. I'm very careful to say that because I, I struggle with different things as well. See, one of the issues that we had when we first became a church, by the way, it's been three years since we had our first preview service here, and, and look what God has done. It's like crazy, right? It's awesome. It's wonderful. But, but here's the deal. Well, the first thing that people would say is, uh, when are your Bible studies? When are your small groups? When are your fellowship times? When, 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 when are we going to do spiritual activities? Not one time did I ever get asked, and this is the problem in our church, Western church culture, not one time did I ever get asked, how do you disciple people? Because there's a huge difference between being a Jesus or a Christian person and a, a disciple. A disciple is one who follows and obeys Jesus out of a love for Jesus. A Christian, many times, is someone who comes and does Christian activities. There's a huge, huge difference, isn't there? Here's the deal. Let me listen to this, man. Let me break it down real quick, man. See, there's a, a difference between reading. Oh, oh, let, me, let me back up. Knowledge of the Bible is not the same as understanding. Uh, the mark of a disciple is understanding. They'll take the word, they'll hear it, they'll understand it, and it will guide what we do. There is a difference between reading the words and being in the word. Last week, if you recall, I, I talked to us about the things that we're struggling with, things that we're dealing with. It's a, you called me a knucklehead. By the way, y'all call me knucklehead really good, man. So back at you. But we are, we are saying we're going to move together. Like we're going to grow together. We're called, and and y'all, if y'all all agreed, y'all were, and you don't agree anymore, y'all were lying in church. So there's no lying in church. So we all said we're going to grow together in this. We're going to learn this stuff together, what it means to be a follower. Like we're going to, as, as a body of believers, that's why it says, we're not just going to say, we're going to pray for you guys. We are family, right? Matthew 12. <clears throat> Jesus starts speaking to crowds. And he does this a lot. He's got his boys with him. He's got his disciples with him. And, and it's starting in verse 46. He says he was still speaking to the crowds when suddenly his mother and brothers were standing outside wanting to speak to him. Now this flies in the face of people who say, uh, uh, Mary was a perpetual virgin, right? Or, or Jesus didn't have any other brothers. Uh, actually, he had brothers and sisters. In fact, two of them wrote books of the Bible. James and Jude grew up with Jesus, but didn't call themselves a brother of Jesus in their letters. They called them a sl themselves a slave to Jesus. Man, it's amazing to me, right? So when suddenly his brothers, and they were standing outside wanting to speak to him, say, hey, somebody go get Jesus. I'm his mama. Right? Someone told him, look, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. But, everybody say but. But he replied to the one who told him, 
Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Now, he's not being disrespectful to his mom. He's saying he's trying to help them understand this thing spiritually, right? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. In other words, this is my family. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, that person. Let me repeat that. For whoever whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, that person is my brother and sister and mother. In, In other words, those who do the will of God, which is what disciples do, are in Jesus' family. My my. Like, am I, am I understanding this? Like, you got that, right? That's important for us to understand. Do we want to be in the family of God? Oh, I didn't hear y'all. Man, it's like, 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 do we really want to be in the family of God? Yes, man, absolutely. So, so if we want to be in the family of God, if we want to be in Jesus' family, we've got to do the will of God on that day. Starting in Matthew 13, starting in verse 1. On that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat down. And while while the whole crowd stood on the shore, have you ever been in a boat, you can hear your voices go across the water. It's one of the ways they were able to, to get to talk to a whole lot of people. Then he told them many things in parables, meaning that he didn't just directly tell people things, but he was telling people stories and kind of analogies to different things so that there would be some questions and some understanding. People would be able to think about these things. He said, consider the sower who went out to sow. As he was sowing, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on rocky ground where there isn't much soil. And they sprang up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. Now, Jesus is going to explain this here in just a little bit. But, everybody say but. But, when the sun came up, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered. Others fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them. Still others fell on good ground. Everybody say good ground. And produced a crop, some 100, some 60 And some 30 times what was sown. Anyone who has ears should listen. See, here's the deal. As a disciple of Jesus, we don't come into a teaching wondering, what am I going to learn? A disciple of Jesus says, what am I going to learn so that I can take it and apply it and obey Jesus is a totally different aspect. Learners are, uh, disciples do learn, but they do it for a purpose. A disciple learns not so that they can accumulate, accumulate, how to say accumulate? Accumulate knowledge, right? Disciples accumulate knowledge so that they can take that knowledge and obey. Wisdom is knowledge applied. That's what, Amen. Knowledge just puffs up. Like we got a whole bunch of religious people that have all these degrees. They got they got all they go to all kinds of classes and do all kinds of things. I'm not trashing those things, but ultimately, if all our desires to go get knowledge, guys, we're missing the point and we're missing the boat. I want to share with you guys um, uh, a video, a quick video here. We've got a part one and part two here in just a little bit, but but this guy, 
we go and we meet <coughs> outside the church walls a bunch. We do a lot of planning at places like Starbucks and places like McDonald's or places like that. Why? Not because we don't want offices here. It'd be kind of nice to have an office, to be honest with you. We just don't, right? And so we intentionally do that a lot so that we can be out where there are lost people. One of the places we meet is a place called Outlaw Cigar over in Overland Park. If you've ever been there, it's really not a religious place. There's some crazy stuff on the walls and everything like that if you've ever been out there. But we meet out there. Actually, several of us meet once a month and do some planning and things. But we were meeting as a staff planning for a specific series we were doing about two years ago. And this guy that had been drinking way too much just came in and sat down right in the middle of us. Here's, here's his story. For, well, part one of his story. My name is Michael Ortega. I am uh, 53 years old, soon to be 54 on Friday. Um, I've been married for 22 years to my wife, Polly. We have three boys, Alex, Luke, and Sam. Alex is 15 years old, and Luke and Sam are both 11. We worship uh, at uh, CORE, uh, Church of the Resurrection. They have a western campus near where we live in Lenexa. And we've been part of that church for about two years now. We joined last year, and we really enjoy it. Well, it really started when my wife and I were first married in the mid-90s, and we moved to Chicago, um, and I joined this company, The Gap, and it was a really a, a wonderful opportunity for me, and for her as well, to get out of Kansas City, and for me to get out of Cleveland, and live in a big city for the first time in our lives. Um, with that came a lot of stress. Both of us were in very high-stress corporate jobs, and on the weekends, um, we just let loose. We didn't have children. Chicago is a, a town that really lends itself to letting loose. And we partied a lot on the weekends. We would go to our local neighborhood bars and, um, and we would just sit and have drinks and, and carry on and have a wonderful time. And then Sunday night came and the stress started out up for us and we had to deal with Monday and work and all the stress that came with that. It wasn't until uh, that I probably got into my 40s that I said, boy, I'm drinking a lot. And um, I was becoming very dependent on it. I was looking forward to it at the end of the day. And it became uh, more of a central focus of my life than it had ever been before. Well, when I stopped working, I thought, this is great. I have some time now. I can clean up my life. I don't have the stress of business anymore. I can really relax and focus on me. And um, I did that for a brief period of time, but then I had all this free time on my hands and my children were in school and my wife was out going about her day, you know, running errands and, and enjoying her life. And I would sit at home and I would drink. I would pick up a bottle of beer and have a beer. Then I'd go to the gym. After the gym, I would have another beer. What I was was an isolating drinker. I would drink uh, at home um, and I would go downstairs and we had a bar downstairs and I would sit down there and I would drink and I would pretend I was watching the news or doing other things until, you know, the family comes home or wife comes home at two o'clock in the afternoon and I'm passed out on the couch. Um, so then things started to take a turn and we both recognized this is getting out of hand. Um, what, what should we do about it? There's a, an establishment that I like to go to called Outlaw Cigar and I enjoy smoking cigars and it gave me a place to go during the day. Um, I came to meet Matt one day when I was walking to use the restroom there and I was quite inebriated that day and feeling kind of blue. 
and uh, I saw a group of people sitting in the back room of this um, cigar establishment talking and I knew that they were talking about something that was um, spiritual. Me and a lot of the full-time guys on staff that put together our Sunday services, we were having a meeting at Outlaw and we were getting ready at that time to go into a series about finances, about budgeting, about money, which is a sticky subject anyway in church, right? And so you can imagine if you've got a, a kind of more of a hot topic with a lot of opinions that you're talking about on Sunday, the meeting that we're having is even more raw. Like we're trying to figure out in a meeting how we're going to talk about money in church. I walked up and I sat down and um, just sort of invited myself to join them, not really knowing what was going on. The meeting has just started and this guy walks out of the bathroom and he just sits down right in our meeting. And so we're not even close to being done, like we've just started. And I say, well guys, that's probably enough for today. I think we got a lot to go on. Let's just kind of wrap it up, you know. And this gentleman sitting in this chair, he says, um, I don't know what you guys are talking about, but I know I need it. I don't think I was, I, I, you know, it's a little bit foggy that day, but I don't think I was stumbling over drunk. That usually wasn't my MO, but I was just uh, feeling rather melancholy and um, was drawn to that. And I thought, well, Maybe this is the right place for me to be. So I sat down. And so I say, well, my name's Matt. What's your name? And he said, my name's Michael. And I said, what's your story? And this is what he says. First time we've ever met this guy. He says, I'm an alcoholic. It's destroying my life, but I love it. Amazing, isn't it? You know, to... to uh, Pete reminded me a little bit ago that he said, yeah, he says, I, I forgot all about that guy because we were in the meeting together. And, and, and so it was, it was kind of surreal that he would come and say, I don't know what you guys are talking about, but uh, I need it. And we're like, wow, that's how the Holy Spirit works, right? That's how, I mean, seriously, that's how, that's what the, those are the things that when we engage in our people that need Jesus, that we go and we are rescue on a rescue mission for people, we become available to them. You know, it would very easily be said, hey, you know, like we really uh, don't, we're trying to do some business here, could you uh, come back? Or, But the most important thing is that we reach people for the Lord and make disciples of people. Now he's a disciple of Jesus Christ. Come on, right? Awesome stuff, man. I love to hear this. So, so G, you know, Jesus says this, this parable, and, and as he s- explains this parable, I want us to be thinking about not uh, okay, so I've got to sow seeds and go spread the gospel and that kind of thing. And sometimes it's going to be on, on uh, patch ground and rocky ground and thorny ground and good soil and that kind of thing. I want us to be, as a disciple, uh, look at this, uh, like, like turn this back to us and say, what's my heart like? What's my mind like? Am I good soil or am I packed soil? Is it just too hard for the the, the, the word to get in there and do his thing. Like, it, it, am I the rocky soil? Am I the thorny soil? Because he explains what this is. So as I give what Jesus explained here, don't just look at this as something for that time. Look at this as what do I need to learn? What is my, uh, my, my, my soil so that I can deal with it and be obedient to the Lord? Verse 18 in Matthew 13 says, You then... Listen to the parable of the sower. Because his disciples like, dude, this is like, what are you talking about, right? When anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't, say that with me, 
understand it. The mark of a disciple is understanding. The, the evil one, the, the, the enemy, devil, comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one sown along the path. And I see this happen all the time. People get all fired up on Sunday morning, right? And they go, man, I'm ready to follow Jesus. I'll do anything. They might even throw a couple things on Facebook. But then life happens and they out. And the one sown on rocky ground. This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but is short-lived when pressure or persecution comes because of the word. Immediately he stumbles. And I see this a lot. People are like, man, I'm in. I'm on Facebook. They might even show up to a couple of studies that we do. Might even show up with some fellowship times that we do. But as soon as they post something on Facebook, somebody goes, oh, that's just stupid. Or, oh, that's not real. Are you going to be one of those Jesus people? Oh, you ain't going to hang out with us like you used to. Oh, you're going to be one of those goody two. They're out. As soon as the persecution and pressure comes from family, from, from friends, from the world. Now, the one sown among the thorns, and this is the one where it really gets hard in the American culture here, right? But the one sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but, everybody say but, but the worries of this age and the seduction of, I don't care, like wealth, I don't care how poor we are in this country, man, we're the richest among all the nations, and we're in the top what, like five percentile, ten percentile of, of the, the entire world. And we're really in the top one percentile of all of history. This is one of the reasons why it's so difficult for us to get past our own concerns and our own wealth and our own desires. Because we're so consumed with getting those, we get it choked out of the world. Out of, get the word choked out of our hearts. The seduction of wealth choked the word and it becomes unfruitful. But the one sown on good ground, are we good ground? This is where we've got to be asking ourselves. The one sown on good ground, this is one who hears and understands the word. Who does bear fruit and yields some 100, some 60, some 30 times what is sown. So we do become fruitful if we are good soil. We hear it and we do something about it, right? We are obedient and we share with other people. Now, we can't get jealous of the ones that that fruitful sometimes a hundred times. Like if we're the ones that, that, are, that are fruitful 30 times or even five times, like the, we can't get jealous. Oh, what do you got? What's your secret, man? It's all Jesus. He's the one that's doing it all. We're not doing anything. We can plant it. We can water it. We can nurture it. But it is God that makes it grow. Good soil does God's will. Amen? Good soil multiplies. It doesn't make any sense to plant stuff for, the, for, for it not to grow and it not to bear fruit and not to, to multiply. Good soil understands. Good soil weathers the storms when they come. And good soil is obedient to the seed of the gospel and grows into maturity. I'm going to finish up here in just a little bit. I'm going to share 
with you the final part of, of Michael's story and his video here. I decided at that point in my life that perhaps I needed to go away and be away from everything and um, try and get myself sober. And I found a place in Thailand that was ranked very, very high um, in terms of the treatment and the facilities. Flew over there first class and drank the entire way. And by the time I got to Thailand, um, I was pretty, pretty whacked out. I got off the plane. I went to the bar at the airport, which consisted of basically one A-frame hut and a landing strip. And I was drinking my Thai beer. And someone came up to me and tapped me on the shoulder and said, I'll take that. And that's when I knew that I had arrived uh, to um, a serious place. You know, I'd never seen anyone coming off of heroin that had just maybe had their last fix two days before and just arrived at this rehab center that was suffering. I thought I was in the wrong place. Um, I thought, I'm just your run-of-the-mill alcoholic. What am I doing here? What have I done? I don't belong here. I made it the full 30 days. Um, I was still struggling with not uh, drinking, but after about 10 days in the rehab facility, which is the longest uh, I had gone without drinking in many, many years, I started to feel better, and my spirits just got better. I felt good. I was sleeping well at night. But as soon as I got out of the rehab center, um, I had to spend a night in Bangkok before my flight back to the U.S., and um, I started drinking again immediately, immediately. I started drinking in Bangkok, and my wife couldn't get a hold of me, and um, what could have been a very beautiful time turned into something quite the opposite. So I decided that I would go to a rehab center in Kansas six months later, and um, I went to a place called Valley Hope in Atchison, Kansas, and this was not a luxury rehab. This was a uh, serious place with people that had the same problems that they had in Thailand, heroin, opiates, alcohol, and I stayed in there for 21 days. And the turn came when I went to an AA meeting I had been to previously. I just made a decision at that point that I was going to do what these people said to do. We call it in AA the gift of desperation. I got that gift that day. I was that desperate that I would do anything for these people to show me the way to live the way they're living, happy, joyous, and free and sober. I got in contact with, uh, with Matt again. Um, he and I ran into each other at Outlaw, and he asked how I was doing. Um, and we started getting together on a weekly basis. Um, I have a, a friend who was formerly my physician who uh, uh, was a very spiritual man, and he told me when I was in the depths of my drinking, Michael, you have a spiritual problem, not a drinking problem. He said, you're filling up that hole inside of you with other things instead of filling it up with Jesus Christ. And, um, you know, just being around people like that, um, I started to really listen to what they were saying, and I started to believe. And I'm a work in progress. I have a long way to go. But, um, you know, I really believe that there's this tremendous power source out there that I never tapped into. It took me 53 years to realize that if I just tapped into it, it was right there. And God will walk with me through anything. To all the knuckleheads out there who might be suffering with addiction of any sort, um, 
I can tell you that uh, there is a way out. And um, my way out was developing a relationship with God. There comes with that great um, hope. And I have hope now that I didn't have before. I didn't believe in myself. And I had to turn it over to God and trust that he knew what was best for me. He's always known what's best for me. And um, it took a long time for me to get to that place. It took me 53 years because I wanted to control everything. And until I gave up that control and started accepting the, the gifts that were out there for the taking, for me to just believe and trust. And um, that's what really got me back. My name is Michael Ortega, and I was a knucklehead. Great, great, great testimony. I love that, man. Love that. Amen. Love it. One of the things, that, of course, I disagree with one thing he said. He said uh, that his name is Michael Ortega, and he was a knucklehead. Uh, Michael, if you can hear me, you still is one, bro. Um, yeah, because we all are. We are all going, like, from whatever level we are, no matter how we're growing, that kind of thing. Well, there's this knuckleheadedness at the next level that we're not even expecting. I was reading a devotional. I may have said this in this service or the last service. I can't remember. Or maybe the first service. These things get uh, jumbled together a little bit. But I was reading a, 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 a devotional called My Utmost for His Highest. And he was talking about that. It's a, it's a devotional by a guy named Oswald Chambers who's been dead exactly maybe 100 years next month or something crazy like that. But you know, it still seems like his stuff that he's writing is prevalent today but he says you know there are some temptations we don't even need to be tempted about anymore because we should have grown to the point where we're tempted by something different right and so there's always something new that we're going to be uh, as we grow in the Lord there's always going to be things that we deal with and so and we're going to be continual knuckleheads until we get to see Jesus face to face and I can't wait for that right so here's what I want us to do, man. If this has affected you at all, um, if this has kind of challenged us a little bit uh, to what it means to be a disciple, not just a, a Christian, uh, not just a, a churchgoer, but somebody who really needs to step into the obedience, here's what I want you guys to do. I want you to guys to write this on your bulletin or text yourself or whatever that is. Uh, but I want you to take four steps. The first step is to write down... Whatever it is that is keeping you from being obedient to the Lord. And if it's reading the Bible, because that was kind of the common thing that we had throughout all three of the services last week, that we didn't, or two weeks ago, we didn't read our Bibles. If that's your first thing that's really keeping you from understanding, because you don't read, you will never understand Jesus if you don't read his word. I promise you that. That's the first step. But write down whatever that is that is keeping you. For some of us, it's a couple of things. For some of us, it's 200 and a couple of things, right? And that's all right. We got to start somewhere. Write it down. In your own handwriting, if you would. Like, write those things down. This is a, a, a letter to yourself that, that we're, from this point on, going to follow Jesus. Step one. Step two. Look at the list. Look at it, and one by one, go down the list and say, is this bigger than Jesus, who fulfilled all these prophecies written about him and rose from the dead? Is he bigger than my sin, my temptation, my shortcomings, my knuckleheadedness?
Step three, write out a, a detailed plan. And as you do that, get godly counsel from godly people. Do not go to somebody that don't read their Bible and ask their opinion. Because ultimately, they're going to tell you something that's way off base most of the time. Because they're not in the Word. And when I say a detailed plan, not a plan that says, I'm going to be a gooder, faster, bigger, badder, stronger Christian. I'm going to be going to church more. I'm going to be reading my Bible more. I'm going to be a better spouse, a better employee, a better neighbor, a better citizen. Those are great visions, but, but a plan is something, and in our world, we do something called a Star Wars plan, and all you nerds just went, what? Star Wars? You say Star Wars? Star Wars plans are S, spirit-driven, T, tangible, meaning that you know whether you have accomplished it or not. It is time-bound, it is measurable. A, aggressive, R, realistic at the same time w written in your own handwriting a achievable r readily available meaning you got that thing in front of you all the time as you write your plan down and so when you're brushing your teeth because it's on the front mirror or it's on the refrigerator or it's on your home screen on your phone or whatever it is you look at it and go crap i hadn't even started that or i gotta get challenged or that or yeah I'm, I'm i'm ahead of schedule on that one i mean those are important things finally s strategic to the plan that you have you have made finally step four when you have written it down and you've looked at the list and you've asked if it was bigger than jesus and you made a plan take the step of becoming a disciple the way it's written down in Matthew 28, that we are baptized. Some of us haven't been baptized. Take that step. We're going to be doing it next week. We get to learn what it means to be a disciple and, and be obedient to Jesus. And starting October 4th, we're doing a, a city group right here on Wednesday evenings at 630. Uh, if you would sign up on your Connect cards before, as, the, as the buckets are passed around, put that in there. Say, I want to be there. 630, Wednesday nights. We're going to have child care provided thank you bernie everybody say thank you bernie <laughs> hallelujah so we're gonna have child care available for that night learn what it means to be a disciple we're gonna explore that for six weeks it's not a huge commitment guys but it is one that you will have to step out of comfort zone in and come into what it means to be in a disciple and actually explore it so that you can learn whether or not and this is going to sound hard am i going to walk away or am I going to walk toward Jesus? It's rare in the Western church to truly disciple people. We'll stick them in a Bible study all day. We'll dunk them in water because it looks good on paper all day long. But rarely do we challenge people to actually step into obedience because that's people get mad. Bless you. Twice. Go Chiefs. That's what he's saying. Go Chiefs. <laughs> with you baby father we love you we thank you for today we thank you for this awesome and amazing church that you have made we, we thank you Lord in advance for the disciples that you're making that are going to step into not just knowledge of your word but obedience and submission to your word we thank you father for the opportunities to serve on a Sunday morning like this 
And we thank you that as we all go out to work and to school and to play and to raise kids and to whatever it is we do as we go to the grocery store, as we go to the bank, as we go to eat, that we are making disciples and spreading your word. And may you make those that we spread the word to fertile life, Lord. It's in your hands. It's nothing we can do. And Father, as we have the ushers come forward in a in our offering time, we pray for this offering, Lord. We pray for this. This is not anything that we have done. All this money, all this offering, all these resources belong to you in the first place. And I am floored by the fact that you don't demand every bit of it back from us, that you let us keep almost all of it. Wow. You deserve it all. But you say, no, they're my kids. Have fun. Just give me a little. So, Father, as we take this this tithes and these offerings, may you put them to the use you say fit. And as we watch a video of the one of the reasons why we give offering, why we tithe, may you be glorified in everything we do. Get us out of the way, Lord. And may your kingdom come. In your son's a precious and amazing name. Everybody in the house said.